Welcome to Women Empower Active, an initiative started by UR Sportswear to empower women to find their own active adventure. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gross. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Crystal Huddleston, an extraordinary individual whose passions for climbing and community empowerment are truly inspiring. A rock guide, Crystal leverages her knowledge and experience towards creating diversity, equity, and inclusion in the climbing space. Crystal balances her adventurous spirit across many hobbies and interests, and I'm excited to learn more about her journey and perspective. Crystal, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Wow, um, what a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so... I always start with this question, but like, this is kind of how people start being active. So how did you kind of find your way to being an active individual? Yeah. So again, Crystal, she, her, yeah. hers pronouns. Um, my, my entire journey for being active has been a very rocky one. And I'm excited to talk about this because it's something that I actually don't talk about a lot in the outdoor space. Um, as a child, you know, I did run around like creeks and I was outside all the time and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother had some chronic illnesses and she was not able to take the best care of me and my siblings. So I ended up in the foster care system and all that ended for me completely trying to get outdoors, do whatever. And I was basically just passed along different uh, group homes and foster care systems that uh didn't really have an emphasis on the outdoors or working out or staying active, you know? So even through my high school years, I wasn't active either. I was varsity choir, actually. <laughs> no sports to speak of, right? Um, growing up, I, growing up until about maybe the age of 12, I was very lucky to have access to the outdoors and just run around in it. And I, uh, I always returned back to that in my mind when things were hard because it was freedom and it was uh, a place that I could go to all the time that I really enjoyed. Um, when I hit college, finally, mm -hmm. I uh, was able to get my associate of arts degree because as a foster kid that aged out of the system, I was never adopted. Um, they paid for my associate's art degree and within that required us to take a, you know, I can't remember the actual word, name of the class, mm -hmm. but I think it was health and fitness or something like that. And you had to take it. I think it was my sophomore year. You just, it's just one of those requirements. And I'm so grateful that I ended up having to take that course because it kind of kickstarted activity for me. The teacher was really wonderful. They went over everything about fitness and how you could push yourself and even uh, more healthy eating if you could afford it. And it started the foundation for me that I was like, okay, I can do this. It's fun. Um, but it didn't connect in the outdoors for me until years later when I finally got a stable career and I started playing outside a little bit more. Um, but that was a very long road for me. Wow. I'm, I'm so sorry you had that experience growing up that it's like you had to start uh, so much further back than others to kind of get to where you are now. That's incredible. Um, so how did you like find your way to climbing? That's first of all, just like such a random sport. I mean, I didn't, I was lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to 
do team sports when I was younger and I never got to climbing until I was older as well. Like what, what got you to that like place? Yeah, I feel like I have a very um, common story. My partner, who is my husband now, actually is the one who got me into it. So we actually went to uh, school together to become aircraft mechanics. Mm -hmm. And that's the vocation that we do now. And it's the best vocation I've ever had that has allowed me a lot of privilege, privilege, finance and um, uh, wealth, so to speak. And he took me for my first time. We volunteered at a lot of air shows, actually. <laughs> this is where we got started in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Actually, mm -hmm. I started something called the Association for Women in Aviation Maintenance um, with the intersection of bringing people of color into our field as well. And part of that was like, volunteer your time, get your resume up, you know, make those connections, talk to people, find those jobs, right? Um, and I still have some really deep connections from that work as well. But um we used to go and volunteer at a bunch of air shows where the planes would fly in and we'd, you know, help marshal them in, whatever it is that they needed us to do. And we learned a lot about aircraft that way. And just, uh, we just took a shining to one another. We were friends first and mm -hmm. foremost. He was like, do you want to go climbing? And I was like, oh, that is something that I've actually always wanted to do. I never knew anyone who did it. Yeah. I didn't know where to start or how to get into it. And he was already actively climbing for a number of years before he took me out to the crag. Um, and so my relationship with climbing started very gently. If anyone knows my partner, he's very gentle and very friendly and just all around wonderful. That's why I married him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it just started from there. So my first time climbing was actually outdoors. He brought me outdoors. Um, and then, of course, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Then we went to the um, Seattle Bouldering Project and indoor climbing after that. And that was it for me. I just really loved it. I have I think I've spoken about this before on other podcasts, but it was the first time for me in a long time that I felt like I had full body autonomy being passed back and forth between different people and different systems, you don't feel like you have a lot of power and control over your own body because I was a minor. I had no say in where I was going to end up, what was going to happen to me. And so just being on the wall, I'm getting chills a little bit, just being on the wall and making these decisions for myself and really feeling connected with my body it just, it clicked for me. I was like, I love this. I want to do this more. Um, of course, you know, when you're in tough situations, you have a tendency to dissociate from your body. You're like, I don't physically want to be here right now. I don't want to be in this situation. Um, and so my imagination would always run wild. But you have to listen to your body, especially when climbing, right? You know, you climb yeah. um, and you have to be aware of certain nuances on the wall um, and then there's a lot of other things that go into that, like nutrition and uh, um, health, et cetera. Yeah, totally. I mean, just like the thought of just for the very first time feeling fully yourself in that atmosphere is incredible. Like what a cool experience. Um, if you don't mind, like about like when you first had that relationship with your husband, like when it first started out, how did you feel like you could trust that individual because like you came from this place where you're kind of getting passed back and forth and 
like maybe not feeling like you had been able to have like previous like relationships that you could trust somebody with like how did you get over that like there's so many more barriers to like you're gonna trust your player but like you're in a relationship and there's just so many layers there that's a really good question and I suppose it ties into health a little bit too um because when you are in situations that are maybe um unsafe right your nervous system kicks into high gear and you're always like on the lookout for things. And so I think I had developed kind of like a hyper awareness about people's attitudes, their facial expressions, et cetera, because I was in a lot of unsafe situations growing up because I was on my own constantly, Mm -hmm. um, especially when I aged out at age uh, 18. And so there was a lot of green flags with him He was able to communicate really, really well. Mm -hmm. He actually listened to me and seemed concerned if I expressed any kind of concern, right? He was encouraging, but not domineering. Um, And he would ask how I'd want to be pushed. And by pushed, I mean like encouraged to climb on the wall. And honestly, I didn't know myself. So it it was really beautiful to be able to be myself in this space and also have him allow me to create myself in this space as well. Um, And I'm not sure. Yeah, I think everyone has different experiences, you know, getting into climbing and mine was just so positive and inspiring. And so, um, so creative that I, I could make this space for myself. And honestly, a lot of that leaked over into the work that we've done at Climbers of Color, because we based the rock side, he's also, was also the co-director of rock that shaped this entire branch for climbers of color. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do came out of the relationship with how he brought me into the sport, actually. So I have to give kudos to Keith. That's my mm-hmm. partner. He's yeah. a really wonderful person and really set the foundation for me in climbing, for sure. Well, I'm glad you had that first experience and it was like so positive. That's amazing. Um, would you mind talking a little bit more about Climbers of Color and why you think it's so such an important um, collective? Absolutely. So along with, and it goes with what we were just talking about, along with the fact that I was brought into this really wonderful little world, I guess, that Keith and I had, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't the case outside of the little world that we had. When we went to Crags, we wouldn't see other Black folks, both him and I are, are Black identity. Um, We wouldn't see a lot of people of color. Uh, We wouldn't see a lot of women. We wouldn't see a lot of non-binary people or even people in the LGBTQ community. And so for years, we were just wrapped up in ourselves, in our own little world, in our own little culture, if you will, that was outside of the main climbing culture um, that we just reveled in for years. We enjoyed it, but we were also pretty lonely in that we enjoyed each other's company but it would be nice to have you know like-minded individuals or even individuals of color to be able to enjoy the sport with so when we had the chance to become involved with climbers of color we leapt at it we were like we're already there we've been to color the crag all three years I believe it was three years that they had it we were ready for something and we wanted to make a difference and we were Um, and still are settled in our career and that we had extra time to dedicate to this initiative. Um, But it's important, right? There's so many, there's so many stories and there's so many 
barriers, unfortunately, to people of color in the outdoors, mm -hmm. um, regardless of other demographics that intersect into it. When you just focus on race alone, there's there's so much to talk about and so much to explore, um, even across the umbrella term of people of color, which is what uh, climbers of color serves generally. Yeah, and you are, what is your role at Climbers of Color? So my role uh, up until the beginning of this year was co-director of rock instruction. Um, I transitioned to being a board member and rock team instructor. Mm -hmm. So I've handed over the directorship to someone who is very wonderful. I'm going to do a fantastic job at it, um, to being the person that trains the guides in kind of the culture again for climbers of color on how we want to present information to this particular demographic, how we want to hold space for them, how we want to be able to engage in a two-sided conversation, a two-way conversation with the community to help to assist them to feel safe in the outdoors, um, whether it be technical skills, um, emotional safety, or even just passing on information, need to know information to be able to do the sport and bring our full selves into, into climbing and enjoy it together. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I, you're such a person that reaches out and like helps so many people. I, it's just incredible. I wanted to talk a little bit about you though. I know that you've been having some health issues lately. Um, and that's impacted uh, your, you know, physical, uh, physically. What was, what were you struggling with? And then how has that been impacting your training, both like emotionally and physically? Because obviously it's not just, emo it's not just physical, it's, you know, emotional too, and how we see ourselves as we compete and train. Yeah. And thank you for asking, because I, I don't have a platform in which to talk about these things. Um, mm -hmm. Usually when I'm getting interviewed, it's all about climbers of color, right? Which I don't mind. But at the same time, these past couple years have taught me that I need to focus on myself. And part of that intersects with my health, right? Um, I've been on the grind so long that I've been working full time and then working a part time job or going to school for it part-time or full-time even uh, a couple years back that I just again disassociated from my body and just pushed it through constantly um, and then you add climbing and climb training on top of it and I, I really struggled for many years I really struggled I was able to get into higher level grades that I was really happy about but I just felt like my starting point was so much further than everyone else's and for a long time, I thought, well, maybe it's my background. I don't have an athletic background. Maybe it's because, you know, I grew, grew up and we didn't have a lot of food in the house. And of course, then I had to really dig deep and learn and unlearn some habits with food as well, right? But um, beyond all of that, I had never really had a doctor <laughs> regularly. Yeah. I'm laughing a little bit. I'm, it's not funny, but it's... it's yeah. It's kind of like, oh, these aha moments where you're just yep. like, oh, I haven't had a doctor that has been able to be with me long enough to see any patterns and trends in my health. So and or and or the uh, the resources to have a doctor on a regular basis. And so we're talking about socioeconomic status kind of intersecting with climbing. Right. 
-hmm. It's in my mind, everything for me intersects with climbing. <laughs> um, and so after a few years of seeing a doctor, and this has only been, I think about the last five years, they were like, you know, I'm seeing some trends in your blood work. Do you have these certain symptoms? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we need to do some more tests and see what's going on. And I'm not kidding, like for probably the last 10 years, it was a struggle to get out of bed. I just, I would do so much in the day and I would just push myself so hard because I didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. I'd be fatigued all the time. Um, affinity work, like climbers of color would also just exaggerate it. And I couldn't figure out why I was having these high highs and low lows and just crashing all the time and just burning out. I think a lot of people call it. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was much more than that. It was it was health stuff. Um, it ended up being some rampant viruses that, you know, humanity has a bunch of viruses that we all catch every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And then our body, our immune system is able to tamp it down. Mine was not tamping it down. So my immune system was weak um, and I just was fatigued constantly. And I, I'm surprised at myself that I was actually able to achieve what I considered higher level um, numbers in climbing from where I started at least. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I was just so racked constantly. And so being able to afford a doctor to, to really pinpoint these issues after about a year and a half of going through treatment for it, I would wake up in the morning and I would just rise. And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. This is new for me. I, I'm, I'm actually getting up. Like, I don't feel like a mag truck hit me every morning. And so when, mm -hmm. when things are really chronic, I think mm -hmm. I just didn't realize how bad it was until I came out the other side of it. And I was like, oh my gosh things could be easier. And I, I'd find myself comparing myself to other climbers a lot where I'm like, why is it so easy for them? Why do they just seem to be able to develop these skills and just go a hundred miles per hour and I'm languishing? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of things that go into that, right? Socioeconomic status, health, just time, dedication, maybe even. But uh, for me, my health had really taken a turn about a year, year ago, year and a half ago, and I really had to start focusing on it, which is a hard thing because I want to be a giving person. I want to be that person that's there in the affinity work, doing the work, because I think I can do a lot of good. But at the same time, I need to take care of myself as well, because if the good is for everyone else, I'm facing my own mortality. And that's that's a scary thing. It really is. Yeah. They always say, you know, it's just like, if you're on an airplane, you know, put the mask on yourself first before you help others. And that's like something you always need to think about. Um, I also want to say that you, you are a giving person, like it's not trying, um, like you are pushing that out. Like so many people don't give back and like you, you with like the, the littlest amount I would argue to give at that first time when you you were you know working in aerospace like you decided to do that right away like just kept going from there it's not surprising that you weren't um really focused on yourself because you're always like looking outwards to others um no that's that's incredible that you started working on yourself uh, what 
issues were you um, having with like, cause I have struggled with food issues myself um, as well as like anxiety things, but um, what, what foods like issues were you struggling with? And that did that, was it um, things that like made you like feel like your look um, was affected by food or like what kind of things were you struggling with where? Oh, yeah. So I'll try to keep this a little short. That, okay. That's a question. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. All of these are huge conversations. Yeah. Um, so I did grow up in a predominantly white place, mm -hmm. right? And I was constantly reminded that I was different, that I was Black specifically. Um, and when I hit, I think I was about 10 or 11, my hips and my thighs just blossomed. Mm -hmm. And I call it blossoming now because before I just say they were humongous. Oh my God, no one else had this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at everyone on my Haitian side of my family, our hips and our thighs are the same. They're they're just larger diameter, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just the way that we're built. But I hated it because everyone would just stare and I was shaped so differently. Um, and so that coupled with my lower socioeconomic status and the poverty that we grew up in, I would just abstain from eating as much as possible. And I'm sorry, uh, content warning, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Talks of weight, et cetera. Uh, and I never really realized how much I was robbing myself of fuel and being able to do what I want to do on the wall. So it slowly morphed into what can I do on the wall? Not how my body looks, how mm -hmm. my body looks is a, is a plus for me. But at this point I'm like, you know, I just want to be able to climb well. And I realized that in order to climb well, I need to eat, which sounds ridiculous, right? But you do, you, you need to eat in order to perform. And so at the same time, actually, that I was going through these virus things, my doctor really was like, you need to eat, you need to be able to be past the recovery phase so that your body can repair itself um, from these viruses, right? And you have to be able to fuel to do that. So it it's it had been very difficult at first because I did gain weight. I started something called intuitive eating uh, with a professional where it's listening to your body, which once again, I've been terrible at. <laughs> just because of the way I grew up and had to push, push, push for so long. Um, and naturally that's going to come with a little bit of weight gain. Growing up, we also didn't have a lot of food in the house. Like it would food stamps. They were actually physical, like in a book, food stamps. Mm -hmm. I'm that old, I know. <laughs> um, so you eat all the good stuff first and then you just go through the coverings and eat whatever is last. Right. So I, I found myself in the cycle of, eat all the good stuff first because it's going to go away and then eat whatever is left. I'm blessed with finances now that I can have a constant stream of food in the house. Um, and that was really hard because I was still in that cycle. And then of course there's the whole sugar thing where people like sugar is bad. Don't be eating sugar. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest takeaway I'd say that I took from the intuitive eater is one, listen to my body, but also two, sugar is a funny thing. If you have like a bowl of sweets just sitting on the coffee counter, you know, and you're just used to having that abundance in your life, 
you're going to be less likely to eat the whole bowl. Mm -hmm. So it's a weird thing. And I had to work through it. And I'm, I hope I'm paraphrasing that right. But um, it's a weird phenomenon. And so now having food in the house constantly, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I have to eat so much, like overeat now versus just a constant stream of just eating and being more consistent. So it's a big roller coaster, right? Um, and so I'm just going through the weight gain, trying to turn it into muscle as much as possible and just calming the body and saying, look, we're here, we have food, we are safe, we're okay to be consistent. There's no roller coaster ride anymore. And I think that's been the hardest thing for my training um, as well is just that roller coaster. Yeah. Did that help you all? <laughs> yeah, no, it did. Definitely. I'm just going to plug my phone in really quick. I'm not a professional though. There are professional intuitive eaters out there. Yeah. Uh, and I would definitely recommend any one of them for sure. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I, I think, um, yes, food is fuel and thinking that way is like a really hard thing to do. Like, especially when, you know, you're in, you're like basically in fight or flight every time you've eaten before <laughs> this time. Um, so like, it's really good that you've gotten to that point. Um, can but... I add one thing too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Circle back around to the talk about, um, me just, and I'm for reference, I'm five foot nine, yeah. probably about 190 pounds. I'm a larger woman, right? <laughs> Cisgender woman. And, uh, I did shoot up when I was younger as well, like really tall, mm -hmm. um, five foot nine, I, I like to say is the size of about the average man, I think walking around, mm -hmm. but also the other side of this for me was it, if you've ever read the book, fearing a black body, I read that about a year ago as well. And black folks, especially black women, like we're not allowed to be larger. And if we're allowed to be larger, we have to be like a certain, you know, shape. Mm -hmm. And I feel like stuffing ourselves into these little boxes, any women, uh, or anyone that is identifying as femme as well, like, we shouldn't have to stuff ourselves in these little boxes for, for our bodies, and especially black folks. Um, being like larger and not seeing that represented representation, especially in climbing, like bigger, bigger bodies in climbing, I feel like is not as common. And then bigger black bodies in climbing is even more rare, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'd also like to throw out there that weight is not a good indicator of health. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. We're seeing that with the Red S stuff um, and the climbing comps as well recently. Yeah. I mean, I think about that too, because like I, I, I've run like run and then like professional runners are very thin. Um, and so it, I never fit into that kind of mold. And I think that's so true. Just like, you know, now I'm looking at more Instagram accounts with like really strong women that are bigger and just being like, okay, it's okay to be strong and muscular and, you know, I was called like a beast a lot when I was younger and that was not necessarily a good thing. Um, but like now I feel like it's so much more accepted and appreciated. Whereas before it was just like, okay, you need to look 
very skin skinny and you shouldn't have a lot of muscle. Um, and I'm just like, it's totally changed from that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're seeing that too. And, and seeing that, um, representation change as well. Uh, especially some, like, there's some really strong women that are bigger that are climbing really hard too. And that's awesome. Yes, definitely. Um, and then as far as like, like your health now, how is that, how is that going? Like, are you back to 100%? I mean, it sounds like you were probably always at like, you know, 40% and are now going towards, you know, a hundred, but like, how, how is that going? That's, that's also a very good question. You know, I think in general, I do have more energy where I'm like, oh my gosh, I do have energy to spend a half an hour in the gym, come home, do dishes, and then relax a little bit. And I'm not completely tanked after a full work day. Mm -hmm. So I, and thank you for asking by the way. Um, so yeah, I think it's going a lot better. Um, I'm excited to see how my training for climbing is going to be impacted by these new protocols, if you will, that I've put into my general, um, climbing regime, which includes, you know, health and, and eating as well. So I'd say generally good. Yeah. Um, climbing wise, this season's going to be it for me, <laughs> like seeing how I'm feeling uh, strength wise, endurance wise. One thing that I am going to be taking on is more hiking. Hiking has always been kind of a crux for me that I just was always feeling tanked. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I have some bigger objectives um, that I'm going to be trying. I'm going to be dipping into alpinism a little bit, mm -hmm. not with snow. Okay. <laughs> no stuff, but summer objectives. Right. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you don't realize what the barriers are for certain types of climbing. Cause I was always like, I'm never doing Alpine climbing. That sounds terrible. I know myself, I'm going to be tanked before we even get to the climb and who hikes in for two to three hours for a six pitch multi-pitch that just, it, why would you do that? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think part of it was yes, I knew myself in that I wouldn't be able to physically do it or at least push through it and just be wrecked for weeks after. Um, and two, that I just uh, wouldn't enjoy it, mm -hmm. right? Because I'd be struggling so much. So this was a barrier for myself that I didn't even know that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and I can, I can only hope it's going to get better. I'm also 38. Uh, I'm going to be, you know, 40 in two years. So the question is, will I be better than ever? Um, will my age impact what I'm striving to do with my climbing or, but I feel, I feel better than ever. I, I really truly do. And so I'm feeling optimistic for the future for sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't, I think you're going to just going to keep get, getting stronger. There's so many women in their forties that are just incredible, um, and I see that a lot with, you know, cause I, again, I'm a trail runner. I see that a lot with women in trail running too. So you're going to do awesome. But I would say, uh, did you, and I'm not a health expert at all, but did you end up getting like your ferritin levels checked for iron? N um, yeah, I think, and I, I supplement with iron. Okay, cool. They were a little bit low, but thank you for that. Yeah, no, that's generally that, women are usually low iron interesting i'm also plant-based i don't know if that oh i didn't know that okay yeah or not but um according to my doctor i'm the 
healthy plant <laughs> generally, but yes, my iron was low and vitamin D, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like everyone in the Pacific Northwest is probably vitamin D um, deficient. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. So you kind of talked a little bit about your goals, but like, is there anything else that you specifically are working towards for yourself? Oh, that's a good question. I have a lot of, uh, guiding goals and that's been an interesting thing too, because shifting from climbing for pleasure into, um, a guiding resume, it's like, you have to do so many five ten A's, you have to do so many five nines, usually trad, which is not my favorite form, but I do, I do do it and I yeah. enjoy it. Um, but so are we talking recreationally or guiding? Uh, we can, yeah, we can talk both because like okay. you, yeah, you, you have some goals like physically that you're trying to work towards, but then yeah, if guiding would be cool too. I mean, and I'm with you on trad. I don't particularly want, I, I don't want to do that. I've followed somebody on trad once. Don't like it, but more power to you. You can climb with Jeremy. <laughs> I have to do it a lot for, yeah. for guiding. Um, yeah. So I, I have an appreciation for yeah. it, but if I had a choice, I would sport all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll talk about my recreational goals. Okay. Um, I've actually had the strength to strength train now, mm -hmm. which is also something that really tanked me. And I've been listening to, I think it's Natasha Barnes, who is always like, weight lift, weight lift, weight lift, weight lift mm -hmm. for your strength, right? Weight lift heavy, especially women, especially women coming into their 40s. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been doing that and I've been feeling amazing with it, which was not the case, you know, a couple years ago. Um, so I do have a goal of benching 150 pounds. <laughs> I'm at 130 right now. I can do three reps with that. Uh -huh. um, so that's just a fun little thing um, yeah. in there. I'd also like to do some pistol squats at some point, but I have long legs. So I know that's going to be a couple years in the making and that's okay. Yeah. But climbing wise, um, I'm going to go do ragged edge with a friend, which is an alpine climb. And then the other one, uh, Tooth Fairy, another alpine climb as well. And in between there, I really don't have a lot. Like I have some open projects like Heresy and Smith Rock, mm -hmm. uh, which is a small sport climb. Uh, and I do have one long-term project in New Jack City as well that I haven't touched in years. So I think after this season, I'm, if I'm feeling really good, I'm going to start to gear up to try that one again. It's basically an arch mm -hmm. that's 30 feet and you just follow the arete of the arch, kind of roof climbing almost, and then oh, go straight. Oh my gosh, yeah. Beautiful. But I haven't touched it or thought about it in years because I just wasn't feeling great, honestly. Um, but no, I just... I think the Alpine thing is really where I'm going to dip into this year, you know, with just regular cragging. On top of that, for my guiding goals, last uh, September, I actually went to the East Coast to take my multi-pitch instructor course. Um, are you familiar with any of the AMGA certifications, American Mountain Guides Association? Uh, not, no, not really. No. Plus, I mean, our, yeah, listeners probably aren't either. So, <laughs> Okay, I'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Um, so when you're entering in uh, rock guiding, right, guiding for rock objectives, we have the single pitch instructor course. So single pitch is just, you know, a single pitch and you're just mm -hmm. guiding people up and down that. Right. It was just it was a chill crag day, if you will. You can get you take a course and a certification for that. So I took that certification a few years ago um, and then you can take the what's called the rock guide course, which 
certifies you to teach multi-pitch. And I took that, I think in 2021. Yeah, I think it was 2021. Um, and so I've been certified to teach multi-pitch. And of course I use all these skills to um, guide with climbers of color, guide people of color for climbers of color. Um, and then the next stage after that, you can split off. You could go to the Alpine side, which I really don't do Alpine, uh, or you can go the multi-pitch instructor course route. But both of these splits go in two separate directions and end up, you can end up at an SPI provider. So a single pitch instructor provider, which means that's that person that teaches single pitch instructors, teach them to do the course or do um, an exam to certify them. Okay. And so I went the multi-pitch instructor course uh, route. It basically makes you a single pitch instructor for life because it supersedes the SPI uh, certification, right? However, <laughs> my immune system was still kind of on the rebound. I traveled all the way to Conway, New Hampshire and caught COVID oh, no. in, in the middle of the course. Yeah. So not wanting to, you know, wanting to flatten the curve and all that, I to self-disclose and they were like, we can't have you at the course. So I just basically got to quarantine there for the rest of my time and then flew home. <laughs> um. Yeah. But the nice thing about um, AMGA courses is they are forgiving to a certain extent, right? If something happens and you showed up, um, all you have to do is certify with a local guide, uh, usually someone on their AMGA uh, team, rock team. And so I've booked with uh, one of those people in May and will hopefully finish out my certification so that I can, the next step after that will be SPI provider. Now that's exciting for me because mm -hmm. to my knowledge, I think I'll be the first cisgender black woman to be an SPI provider within the AMGA. Um, and I'd love to continue on with Climbers of Color to be able to keep running the um, rock team trainings like I am doing currently within mm -hmm. my scope, of course. Um, but then also taking it a step further and offering SPI courses and exams for people of color in the style of teaching that we have and holding space. That's incredible. I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. The multi-pitch yeah. instructor course, I think, was the crux. Like, yeah. it's an expensive class. It's all the way on the East Coast. It's never here on the West Coast. I'm in Seattle, by the way. Yeah. And uh, it just, uh, it's the hardest part, I think. Mm -hmm. After this, the course for the SPI provider and exam is a lot less days. The one on the East Coast was, I believe, a 10-day course. It's a long course too. So yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's so cool. um, a little sad that I'll be the first one. Yeah. Theoretically, but um, also very exciting. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, I, I actually have never climbed multi-pitch before. I've only done single pitch and like I started climbing like right out of college and I did learn how to actually like put up an anchor but now I totally can't remember how to do that so I literally need to like brush up on my skills too like um how scary is going through and doing like a multi-pitch route like do you ever find that you get up there and then you're like oh you know I you can't just like rappel all the way down like you have to like go through the process of like you can't get out of it really easily I guess what I'm trying to say 
Like, do you, how do you get over that fear? Cause like, I feel like, yeah, top roping is scary, but then it's like an element of like, you're trapped. <laughs> you can't get down right away if you wanted to. Ooh. Yeah. So, um, this is a shameless plug for climbers of color courses. Actually, yeah. I'm right now, uh, working on a syllabus for rope rescue okay. for multi-pitch specifically. And so we do go over the skills of like, how do you, um, how do you escape a belay? How do you actually plan to make sure that you know you have a plan A, B, and C? Mm -hmm. And I feel like having that information imparted onto people, they are going to have a little bit less fear because the, mm -hmm. the unknown can be scary for some people, myself included, especially if I'm going into an objective. Mm -hmm. And so having some just basic like rope skills for rescue is great. With that being said, I do have a partner that I do a long multi-pitches with Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have any rescue skills. I'm sorry I, if you know who, who I'm talking about, but they don't have any rescue skills to my knowledge. Um, so I feel like we kind of balance each other out in that I have those skills and he climbs harder than I do. So, mm -hmm. you know, I get to follow on some harder stuff, which is great. So sometimes it can be based on relationships, but I feel like everyone should have at least a good foundation for some different skills. Um, whether it be taking a course or, you know, osmosis from another friend or whatever. But I think planning with multi-pitch is a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. How are you getting down, right? What happens if you're midway and you can't get down? And I have a very specific example, actually. I was doing Flyboys, was it last year or the year before? Um, and it's 18 pitches. It's in Mazama. It's a sport route, right? We got up to the top of pitch nine and my partners got injured. And immediately I was like, we're not going any further because they couldn't climb anymore. Yeah. Now the nice thing about Flyboys is it has a separate rappel station. So you're not like on top of climbers that are trying to come up because it was a weekend, it's really busy. Um, and knowing that beta was really helpful because then we weren't tripping over people. And I was like, oh, look, good rule of thumb for this, for that route in general is the rappel stations are very close to the belay stations. Chances are you're going to see them as you're walking towards the belay stations, which we did. It was a very easy route to rappel. Um, but for safety wise, I was like, I'm not hauling you up nine more pitches. We're at the halfway mark. We've got to go down. Um, and so I was able to guide him down nine pitches. Um, I say guide, but I don't want to discount any skills that he has himself but I will say nine pitches was the most pitches that he's ever repelled in a row um and he was also had a little bit of you know adrenaline going because he was mm -hmm. injured and no he had a moment that he was like oh crap I don't know if we're gonna get down safe and I was like no problem nine pitch repel I got you you mm -hmm. just relax and I'm gonna talk everything talk through everything with you and we're gonna be just fine it was a full day, <laughs> but um, the planning part for that that I think was key is knowing that the repel stations were separate from the belay stations. So I knew what to look for on our way down. I have so many multi-pitch stories. I could keep you here all day with them. Yeah. <laughs> with troubleshooting. Wow. Yeah. Just, yeah. Some stuff has gone down, but I'm <laughs> here and I have got through it. So <laughs> troubleshooting, planning. It really pays off. It really does. <laughs> yes. You're like, a yes, you're a true, like, 
what I call like people who are survivors, like you just will survive in any situation that comes to you. That's cr- incredible. I, yeah, I want to be with you when I'm panicking. <laughs> that sounds, sounds great. Um, we'll start small. Don't start with 18 pitches. That no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, I two just, or three pitches can be fun too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That sounds far more manageable. And I'm probably like making it worse in my, in my head, but you're totally right. When you say like, if you have like more knowledge, it helps you to not be nervous. I definitely feel like I'm one of those people that will not worry as much if I educate myself a little bit more, um, and not try to force my way through things. Cause that is definitely how I grew up it's just like okay if you can't make this work just endure it (laughs) endure the discomfort um but yeah so you can make things easier for yourself by just taking a course and learning um 100 yes and breathing (laughs) having a moment of panic just breathe yes it really does yes that's a really good point i um i think too like for those situations like you knew that you could get yourself down safely. Um, and just what had such confidence in your abilities, like that's huge. And I think a lot of the times too, if we're not feeling super confident in ourselves as when we can make stupid mistakes. Um, so yeah. And keeping a level head like you did. I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where when I get in these positions where I am like getting to fight or flight that I can just like, like you said, breathe and just try to get through it. Cause I know I can do it. It's just that like in that moment, I'm like thinking there's like gravity is going to shift and rip me off the wall for some reason. Like that's not how gravity works. It goes down, not out. <laughs> so yeah, just keeping that level head is huge. Yeah. And I think rope work, I, I call it rope work when you're mm-hmm. doing like rescue stuff and everything. I don't know if that's a correct or not, but um, it, it's similar to climbing through a crux, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can I do this? I need to breathe. I need to regulate myself while I'm um, doing these techniques that maybe I haven't done in a while, you know, and it's just getting through it safely, mm-hmm. slowing down and really having that attention on what you're doing um, is the same with climbing, right? Yes, totally. And like being in the moment, thinking about the next move you need to do. Yes. Um, so we, we always end with a question and that is what words of empowerment would you give to anybody who's just about to start something or they've been doing it for a while and they just want, you know, to keep on like be inspired to keep going. Mm. You know, I am the type of person that I just kind of throw myself into things. Um, But within that process, I also like to take notes either mentally or write them down. I'm kind of, I have a mechanical mind, so I'm more science-based about these things. Scientific theory, I think we'll say about these things where I'm taking notes and I'm making adjustments and it's okay to make those adjustments. Even if you think that they are at a level that's below all your friends or everyone else that's around you and you just feel low as dirt for doing it, it's okay. If you have to modify 
you know, the push-ups or the pull-ups or the bench press or whatever, those modifications will get you to where you want to go eventually if you keep putting the work in. Now, the only caveat, of course, is all those intersectional things with nutrition and socioeconomic status. Cause I'd my first impulse was to say, just get out there and do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But me being a person that I know that I've had all these things um, intersecting with my climbing that have been barriers as well. Like it's hard to just get out there and do it sometimes. So if you have a starting point and you feel like it's less than have some grace with yourself you know everyone starts somewhere and it may not be where you want it to be but you can get there eventually if you put in the work and if um if you have privilege enough to be able to fuel yourself etc which i know is a little bleak but it all connects back to climbing <laughs> Yes, that's, that's very, very true. And like, you know, um, you're, you've come so far and have overcome so many things. Like, I definitely think you, people don't realize that, um, we're not all starting from the same start line. Um, so it's, it's incredible to like, that you've gotten to this point where you're thinking about all these things that are going to get you to be successful, but like you have to think about the fact that like you came up with them and you put yourself in the position for success. And a lot of that is like leaps and bounds um, that you, other people might not have taken. So that's really incredible. I guess there is one thing that I'd like to add just on top of what you just said. Mm -hmm. And that is, starting points that everyone starts at different places right and sometimes you can't see sometimes you can't actually see people's crux right you can't see what it is that they're going through what it is that they're trying to overcome um and how much progress they've made i mean i have hired professionals to help me out in my climbing and i don't feel any shame about that because i had to have a starting point and I wanted to get better because I felt like I was lacking so much. Not saying hire professionals because you feel like you're lacking. There's a whole range of reasons you would hire a professional to help you in your life and your climbing experience, right? But um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Let's see, set points. Yeah. Yes, starting. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you can't always just look at someone and be like, oh, I thought that you climbed really hard or I thought that you didn't climb like anything. It goes back to like body shape and weight and all that. Right. I've had people tell me before where I shared with them that I hire, I train with a coach and they're like, wow, I watched you climb and I thought that you were a crusher and you're just like, excuse me from where I came from. Yeah. I am a crusher. Thank you. Yeah. I have worked so hard to be here. And so, I mean, not judging people and also not judging yourself. I mean, it's really none of your business how hard I climb or who I employ to help me get there. And I feel like a lot of athletes do employ professionals and they're not upfront about it. And that's fine. That's their business. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always more than happy to share resources because I feel like that's how we move forward. That's how we are able to go beyond what our capabilities are sometimes because it's okay to ask for outside help. 
Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> no, a hundred percent agree. Like I have a friend that coaches me for running because I cannot coach myself for running. I will just run myself into the ground because I don't know when to stop myself. Like I that, and it's so it's so much. I'm so much healthier when I have somebody else to tell me if it's a good workout or a bad workout. And you'd think that's like an elementary thing. I've been running for years, but I just, that's one of the things I just need help with. Um, so a hundred percent agree with you. And it doesn't, you're the one putting in the work doesn't have to do with it. Any, anybody else, but you and yourself. So yeah, maybe technique is, uh, improved faster because somebody was there to tell you, but you, you're the one picking up the weights, lifting, working through those motions like that that is all you it's not the coach so 100 very good point yeah like that. <laughs> <laughs> um oh so many cool things that you're working on and working towards I'm so excited for you for this upcoming year um can't wait to follow your story that's awesome um what when you say affinity course what does that mean like what is the affinity I think I'm not understanding that Word. Yeah. Affinity space is basically a space um, where people gather based off of a shared identity. So for example, Climbers of Color, the mission statement is to um, create leaders of color in the outdoor climbing community, including mountaineering, skiing, uh, backcountry skiing, excuse me, and uh, just climb nights in general around the, the Seattle area. So the shared identity that we all um, gather under would be people of color. We do use the term by POC as well, uh, black, indigenous, and or people of color, because you could identify as multiple of these. That's kind of a tricky one as well, because as a black person in the climbing space, there's not a lot of us. So when people slap by POC on everything, and you're like, I literally do not see a black person on your website, or at any of your events, um, it's kind of a form of erasure for us as well. Mm -hmm. um, for example, too, during 2020, I remember there was, I think, a university that was saying that there was more by POC enrollments than ever in their college. Unfortunately, when you dug into the data, it was only one demographic that was neither Black nor Indigenous. Um, and so Black and Indigenous folks do need to have special attention paid to their issues because there's certain things that we face that other people of color demographics do not. Uh, and I do dive into that a lot with a uh, rock rose blog. If I, obviously I'm a white person. <laughs> um, is there, could I take a course with you still or no? Is no, it's just affinity. It's okay. self people who self identify as people of color. Okay. So our, our organization is run throughout by people yeah. of color, and then our attendees are people of color as well. If you did, say, go to a climb night with Jeremy, yeah, we just ask people of color who identify as such to be in the introduction, because mm -hmm. that's where we're making those connections. Mm -hmm. But you're, you know, the rest of the gym is open. If you want to go climb with your partner during yeah. this affinity group, then that's absolutely fine. The, um, the courses, we do ask only people of color because having that space, historically, especially for Black folks, because I don't want to speak about any other, for any other demographics, mm -hmm. gathering together was literally illegal. <laughs> like, yeah. 
it was it was just frowned upon. And even as you probably have heard, um, women groups of women are usually rated as lower um, lower in across the board with intelligent or competency when there it's just a group of women and then everyone's always like oh look at that group of women because it's it's something that that doesn't always happen right that's been um discouraged throughout history and so having these spaces that are just people of color which again is a huge umbrella of demographics kind of shifts that dynamic and shakes it up a little bit to be mm -hmm. like okay let's take the identity that you have and let's talk about it let's celebrate it and let's find those connections for other people that we want to hang out with or go climbing with or have these conversations with you know and I, I find a lot of people like at climb nights or courses sometimes they're just looking for other people to talk to about stuff that's happened to them in the outdoors that was you know um, having to do with their race or gender and it's I've heard a lot of stories like that and it's really unfortunate and so we do call climbers of color um, events and courses spaces of healing because we do talk about harmful language, uh, harmful to our community's language. We do talk about how we wanna move forward and change. And again, that two-way conversation about, hey, how are we gonna tackle this together? What are we gonna do about it? Um, and how are you going to emerge from this affinity space, your strongest version, because you are able to nurture your identity in this space and then share it with the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're very like safe spaces for people know that if they're coming to a course or, um, any event that that's a safe, safe area for them. To we strive to be safe and educated. I like, I actually like the word educated. Yeah. Um, everyone's got their own little things to work on. Right. Yeah. But, um, like with our guides, they do go through training to be educated on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and then also how to hold that two-way conversation that's like, hey, if I say anything that makes you uncomfortable, let me know. Let's talk about it. Don't just bottle it up. Let's let's share and let's learn from this experience. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons people are drawn to climbers of color is because we're not just dictating what you should and should not do. We're like, hey, we want to hear what you have to say. And then we want to share this as well. That's really interesting. I'm over here just thinking about too that um same thing happens a lot of times with like women in women empowerment too that um white women especially kind of gloss over the fact that people of color have different experience or women of color that have different experiences than them and um yeah it just doesn't it's not thought about where where it should be there's an extra layer there that often gets uh, forgotten about when we're speaking about women empowerment. So um, I don't really have anything to add there. Just like, I just, it's a thought that I, I often have when we kind of have this type of conversation um, and how I guess... go ahead. Sorry. Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I just um, need to, and, and it's, it's why like for, at least for this podcast, I like to have um, different individuals with different perspectives, especially women of color who have different, um, have grown up differently. Uh, cause, because a lot of, oftentimes we don't tell women's stories and we definitely don't tell women of color stories. 
Um, and it's really important to me to get that out there too. So, um, again, thank you for being on this podcast. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean it for, for yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest when I, before I agree to do like podcasts or appearances or whatever, if you will, yeah. I actually go to the the website or the page and I scroll down until I find a black person. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't find any black folks, I'm kind of like, oh, should I do it? But your page does have black women on it. And I was like, yeah. yes, I won't be the first one. I won't be the no. only one. This is <laughs> really great. So I, I, I do, I look, I look at these things. Yeah. Really. And so I appreciate that even I think pre 2020, you had black folks up on your page. Yeah. Which is even more important to me. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 was like the awakening. Yeah. But, you know, uh, not everyone was doing the work previous to that. And that's really important. And, you know, even in the, the guiding realm, um, women's spaces also see less women of color sometimes. Like take, for example, the AMGA um affinity courses because they do their own affinity courses I have talked to several people that are like that that are either women or um non-binary or femme etc mm -hmm. and they won't take the women's courses uh they're just for some reason and I I agree with it too it's yeah. more comfortable to be in an environment of people of color than it is to be with sometimes women that are not of color that are just also so unaware I guess you could say yeah um but on the flip side too I've had people women and non-binary and femme people in uh the um people of color courses that have had men of color just totally disregard their body autonomy you know so mm -hmm. it's like it, it it's hard it's 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 a conversation for women of color and I think white women as well to have to engage in and I think the first step is doing what you're doing mm -hmm. thinking about it yeah that's the first step because if you won't even acknowledge it like oh. then you're not thinking about it you're, then you're not questioning it and I'll be honest in my affinity work I question myself all the time about how much space I'm taking up about the things the initiatives that we have like who's it going to affect um how am I carrying myself through this space? How am I impacting other people? Mm -hmm. Is it negative? Is it positive? Do we need to talk about it? Um, but if you don't think about it, you don't question it. That's where um, it uh, it all starts is thinking and questioning about it. Yeah. I feel like too, like, I mean, that's why uh, Jeremy is such an amazing partner in person is that he always thinks about things from like a, different perspective than himself um and he's such a great person but like it's same thing like I've never had a partner that's been so thoughtful in that way of like okay if I was a woman in this situation like what you know how would I feel and making feel people feel comfortable um but yeah I think that's it's it's definitely something to be thoughtful of and I think um it's like, what is it? White frailty. Like just, there's not every space you're not accepted to be, it's not acceptable for you to be in. So, um, and being okay with that too. Like that's, you're, you know, you have a lot of privilege and <laughs> you're not accepted to, to be in all space. And like, I guess 
I just want to like have said that because if the people hear that, like, oh, there's like this, um, this group that, you know, not everybody can take the course. Like there's plenty of places that I can show up and be, and there's just gotta be some places that are kept for, you know, people of color and to have that, that, um, educated space for themselves. So, yeah. So, yeah. I don't want to hear any comments on this podcast about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's always going to be haters. Yeah. Don't be mind. Luckily, uh, Climbers of Color hasn't had a lot of people that have been really negative about it. Yeah. Um, I did see an article the other day, though, that someone was very angry that they didn't get a discount for going into the climbing gym because during climb nights, not just here, but overseas as well, um, climb nights like once a month you're like okay you get a discount for entry which I think is fantastic but this person just felt they, they from what I could tell I think they identified as white and they were just so angry that they didn't get a discount and a friend of mine was like you know it's not any different than if you went down the list as the staff and you were like are you a student are you here for the POC climb night like are you yeah. here for the queer climb night you get a discount yay like it's not the end of the world mm -hmm. and the way they centered themselves was very odd though because they said is this was this an elaborate ruse to teach me about being guilty for being white and I was you made it about yourself like yeah. <laughs> after all that it came back to you didn't it like yeah. it has in a way it has something to do with their whiteness not them personally of course yeah but it's also not um not for them yeah it, it was for the people of color but they turned it back around to be about themselves which I think was massively interesting and I don't agree with it of course yeah <laughs> um but you do see that a lot where you're just like and honestly being and I I'm gonna be talking about this in my one of my podcasts coming up being a black yeah. person in America you are seen as public property quite often people touching your hair people touching your body right um and so having a space that's like listen we're going to not touch your hair not touch your body we're not going to be weird about your facial features or whatever you know sometimes that's what people are seeking and sometimes that does mean taking white folks out of the conversation um just because they're just not educated about these things or don't know any black folks <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, Tiffany, who's been on the podcast, who who's black, she was talking about the same thing um, in running, like when she's in races, people like inappropriately touching her. And I'm like, that, mm -mm. you know, that's not okay. And so yes, there, this needs to be a space. <laughs> like, um, there's so there's so much inequity, like, just let this be a space. Um, and yeah, that person that was upset can go find their own group that they can be in. That's probably um, so many. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Many options there. So look for them. Sorry, you oh, okay. have a podcast and I wanted to well, um, talk about was, it. Oh, okay. Yes. So tell, <laughs> yes, tell me about your podcast. I, um, and you can also plug another podcast as well, but I wanted to talk a little bit about yours because Jeremy actually told me you have one and I, I didn't, I didn't know that. So yeah, tell me about it. It's not huge. I think that's probably why. <laughs> um, well, first I'd like to say that 
Uh, okay, let me back up here. Well, yeah. first, I'd like to say that um, this week, this Friday, actually, my partner and I are going to be appearing on the Access Fund podcast. And so Climbers of Color, we are thinking about our impact as bringing more people into the sport. And so we do have a little less known uh, side projects of um, a lot of different stewardship for crags, right? The main focus right now being Gritscone. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's about, I wanna say 25 or 30 foot boulder basically that a lot of people go to either newer climbers because you can access the top from the back really easy and set up mm -hmm. your top rope or for people that wanna practice like cleaning and repelling or if you're getting back into uh, sport leading or if you're even learning to sport lead, it's where I learned to sport lead, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of guiding companies, local guiding companies use this place um, for guiding and it hasn't been loved. It was basically bolted without an infrastructure platform put in at the bottom. And so the amount of erosion is atrocious. Like we have trees that are literally going to be taken down because their roots are so exposed. They're just going to oh. die. Yeah. And so on the Access Fund podcast that's coming out, um, Keith and I are talking about the restoration work that we've been able to pull our people of color um, community into doing at Gritscone. And since then, it's turned into more of a massive project that the Washington Climbers Coalition and the Washington Trails Association has all pulled resources to really get a good, solid infrastructure put in. Um, but we're not just bringing people into the outdoors and being like, oh, just go do, you know, whatever. We are giving back to the community as well, because we know that this area is just going to be used more and more and nothing was being done about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm excited for that podcast to come out. It was supposed to come out in December, but it got pushed back because of the bolting prohibition that was um, trying to be pushed uh, for policy. But for my own podcast, um, yeah, it's called Rock Rose Blog. My first name is actually Crystal Rose, so hence a rose on the rock and Rock Rose Blog, right? Mm -hmm. um, it started with my anger, actually. There was a video called Hip Hop Gone Wild. Mm -hmm. and I was so angry about what I saw in that video that I did a social media post and then I just kept writing. And I don't know if you know Erin Monahan, who runs Terra Incognita. Really fantastic articles. Very now, very on on the ball with um, with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all that. And she encouraged me to write it, and I was like, okay. So I wrote an entire. I think it's. Uh, I won't even remember how many parts it is but it's I think at least maybe eight parts to it that goes into detail as to why I felt this video was inappropriate and it started from that and then it slowly went to things that I would see in the affinity space um, in my work that I was like look we need education this is what we need to talk about but then also being on like the board side of climbers of color and being one of the architects of the well, founder slash architect of one of the entire branches of Climbers of Color, how policy actually affects climbing and people of color, um, right? Because I think policy rules everything around me. It really does um, to such an extent that I think people need to pay attention to it. And so being able to bring that to light in my podcasts and in my um, 
my blog has really been empowering for me because I do have a lot of anger about things that happen in the world, either to myself or to other people. So the most recent article that I have up has to do with my journey to continuing on as a board member with Climbers of Color. There was a whole situation around it, but it's morphed into bringing Black climbers into the conversation to talk about the impact um, that they've felt being in affinity spaces. Because again, we are like a minority within a, a minority of that umbrella term of people of color, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're not listening to the minorities within a group, you're just perpetuating a larger system um, within society as well. So there's a lot of hard reading on there. <laughs> it's a lot of well, I'm biased, but good reading on there. Mm -hmm. um, I did an article on black hair and climbing as well. So there's a lot of a lot of articles to go through on there. And hopefully I'll be releasing another one within the next month or so. Awesome. Yeah, you say, be careful. We might get into politics here. <laughs> Pretty soon. You sound like you're ready to go. Uh, you have my vote. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um no that's great I, yeah I'll, I'll look for that and definitely check it out um uh do you have any any plugs anything that you want um people to follow or if they could watch your story anywhere yeah um I'm pretty active on Instagram it's a rose on the rock um I also do run a blog that has to do with the pe people of color in affinity spaces it's by POC climbing and policy it's called rock rose blog you can follow that on instagram also i'm on spotify at rockrose.blog as well um and then the website rockrose.blog you can also see me off and on on the climbers of color space as well um, as i am still involved with them for guiding etc so if you have any questions about courses or where to start or anything i believe in sharing beta for anything absolutely so hit me up that's great and for anybody who wants to maybe take a course with you would that be through which website uh climbersofcolor.org cool yeah great. our courses for the rock season should be up here within the next i think month or so uh our guiding season is usually june through september-ish um but that should be announced very soon and there'll be Intro to multi-pitch is what I'll be teaching as well as the rock rescue um, for multi-pitch that I'll be teaching as well. And I think, and this will be our second year having a single pitch instructor affinity course, which is huge. Last year was our first one and this year we're actually adding an exam. So if you're interested in guiding the SPI course is for you. And then later on, maybe an exam as well. All of our courses are sliding fee scale and have scholarships on top of that too. So we do try to make the these more accessible for sure. You can follow me personally. That's at Jacqueline Gross, J-A-C-A-L-Y-N-G-R-O-S-S. -S. You can check out UR Sportswear. That's the letter U, the letter R, Sportswear on all social platforms. Or you can shop our products at URSportswear.com. If you are listening to this and you want to watch a video version, you can go to UR Sportswear's YouTube channel. Um, both the audio and video version of this podcast was produced by Jeremy Canaria and edited by me. Thank you so much for being here. You're amazing. Um, I, I'm, I was so excited to talk to you and this 
podcast has been so awesome. <laughs> it's gone so many different ways that I didn't plan. And it's, it was very, very great for me. So thank you, Crystal. I appreciate it. And thank you. I've been able to share some things here that I was not able to share on other platforms. So, and thank you for sharing women's stories. It's really important. Yes, it's very important. 